All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Eastern Iron Podcast. Today we have our very first guest, a very good friend of mine, Taylor Rutsky. Um, Taylor, you can kind of go ahead, like introduce like yourself, a bit of your background and stuff like that. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. Um, so my name is Taylor from Regina. I worked a little bit with Caden Kessa at the Saltman shop Popeyes for a while. Uh, a little bit about my background. Um, pretty much I've been my whole life, just like a, I don't want to say super athlete, but pretty much everything I did, uh, I was not bad at, I was pretty good at pretty much everything, but never good enough to go any further at one particular thing. So jack of all trades. And then once high school hit, I uh, finally got into weights and I did, I was always really intrigued with bodybuilding because my dad kind of got into it a little bit, but never serious. He was always a big guy, but that was what really motivated me. And then, uh, so yeah, grade 10 hit and we get into the weight room for the first time in gym class and bench presses. Everyone just, you know what I mean? Gather around the bench press and <laughs> do what you can do. So of course I was pretty strong too, uh, bigger, uh, than the usual high schooler. So I was, uh, got on there and I, I think I did like, after I, I think I did 135, just rate the 135. And I think I did like eight or 10 reps, which wasn't bad for like grade 10. Yeah, that's first pretty time. good. So then I basically fell in love from there. Um, and there's more to it than that. I, I don't want to take too much time, but I was heavily motivated too, with just the whole like just being just a freak, you know, like yeah. I was always, I was uh, a big, like nerd, if that makes sense. So like, I'll watch anime, I'll watch like superhero movies all the time. That's like a big part of me. Yeah. And then looking that way, like the, just the sheer, sheer aesthetic of that, something I've always uh, dreamed of. So there's only one way to do that. And that's lift weights and uh, eat a lot of protein. <laughs> yeah. So from there on after grade 10, like I said, that gym class, it was just hardcore, like all in. Like I, that was my last year of hockey. That was my last year of soccer. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to lift weights. And that, that's, that's the story. Yeah. So that's pretty much how you kind of got into it and everything. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I so was, so yeah, sorry. And I was like hyper invested into it. Like I would come home from, from school every day uh, and watch like, you know what I mean? I was heavily inspired by like Rich Piana videos or yeah. Omar Isaf was good. Eric Helms at 3DMJ, all those guys. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I know exactly what you mean because um, like for myself, that's kind of exactly how I was like over obsessive when like I first kind of got into like football and stuff like that and like that whole realm of stuff. I would literally just watch the same videos over and over and over again because you're just like obsessed with it. And <clears throat> for a lot of people, obviously like a lot of you guys might not know Taylor, but he is like probably one of the most meticulous people that I personally know. He's like very detail orientated. And so like, he is like meticulous with his training with like every little detail. Like he goes like so deep on all of them. So I guess like, let's kind of get into more like the nutrition, the training, like nutrition side of things. Mm -hmm. And so kind of take us through like what your kind of philosophies are on training. Um, even it, just like at the beginning and how it's kind of evolved and that kind of thing. Right. So undoubtedly, if you're starting off, the most important factor for the first year or two is just nailing training, like focusing all your energy on training. Uh, obviously nutrition is important, but uh, 
you know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll respond to pretty much anything and from, from the training for the first little while and regardless of what you're eating. Yeah. So still try and eat healthy for sure. Like, um, it's smart to, to learn a little bit of basics about nutrition for sure. But I would put probably most of your marbles into learning technique form, um, knowing proper exercise selection, periodization a little bit, even just those concepts of, uh, like training principles of like overload specificity, all of that stuff. That's really important. Yeah. And it only takes about a week or two to learn that stuff. Um, and then experimentation is the biggest part. Um, you can watch all the YouTube videos in the world and some of them are good. Some of them are bad, but the best thing is honestly just learning it yourself. I think. Yeah. Just for, kind the first, of for a beginners. Yes. For the first year or two. Yeah. And so you kind of, would you say that you like focus a bit more, even for yourself, like what did you focus a bit more kind of just on like basic exercises, that kind of thing. And just trying to like master the technique for those few exercises kind of thing. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so your, your basic squat patterns, uh, hip hinge patterns, bench patterns, press push pull patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, um, people think of like the squat deadlift and bench, yeah. but, and those are great, but th the truth is those are the hardest movements to learn. And if you start learning those early, uh, you'll be in a really good place, uh, down the road. Like that'll set you up for, for life. If you learn those movements early. Right. Uh, and it's learning them, right? Like you may not, you may be learning them, uh, or you think you are, but you could be doing them wrong or you could be damaging yourself in some way. Like I was, okay. so you have to still be careful. So your body, depending on your anthropometry, anatomy, whatever, you may not be built to squat very well or deadlift very well. Right. Uh, and you'll figure that out pretty quick, but give it some time. Uh, and I think, uh, you'll figure it out, right? Like, uh, a good example, like for me is I forced myself to squat for, for years early. And <laughs> I think that uh, I'm suffering the consequences of that now with my, um, extremely fragile hips. Literally, mm -hmm. if I go anything below parallel on a back squat, my hips are just screaming at me for the next couple of days. Right. Yeah. We were just kind of talking about that, like off air a bit, how you're kind of dealing with that now. Yeah. And <laughs> have been for years. So, um, it's important to learn, learn the basics, but at the same time, make sure you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. And not just thinking you're get someone, get someone that knows what they're doing. You're talking about right. uh, to critique your form or just video your form and send it to somebody or whatever, whatever. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. And I think even a good, uh, a point to that is, um, like for you, like you, like the barbell squat, like just didn't really work for you. Right. And, but you forced yourself to do it. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that to start with the, you know, like you kind of said, like bench squat deadlift. Um, <clears throat> those are difficult exercises to definitely like get like really good form on. Um, especially like in the beginning and stuff like that, you're still learning how your body moves and everything. And if you're kind of just trying to force yourself into a particular exercise that might not necessarily feel right, there's a lot of other variations of, a squat that you can still do to achieve the same result. And that's kind of what T Taylor was talking about with basic movement patterns, um, as opposed to just like focusing on like a certain exercise, you know, like you could use like a hack squat, you could do a front squat instead of a back squat. There's tons of different variations that you could use, um, as opposed to just using like the barbell squat, which a lot of people kind of, I think, uh, run into that type of issue. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, what would you say like for yourself, like you do, like you coach people, 
uh, for like programming training, all that kind of stuff. Um, I know you've even coached like some athletes and stuff like that in the past. So what would be the type of things that you kind of are mostly trying to focus on when you're like building like a program um, and that kind of thing? Um, it depends on the person for sure, obviously, right. but um, for say someone's just uh, a bodybuilder or just looking to get, uh, you know, you put on some muscle, lose some weight. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's been training for maybe two, two years, three years. Mm-hmm. So they're still at that sort of beginner intermediate phase and, and honestly, intermediate phase could last, <laughs> you could be training 10 years and still be in intermediate phase, but right. that's another topic. But I'd look for like their, their relative strength at that moment and mm-hmm. sort of where they're at is really important to know. Yep. Uh, injury status is another one. So what, if they have any injuries right now or have had any in the past, that's super important. Uh, what exercise bothered them or have bothered them in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things are really important. Like anything, what time of the day they train. Uh, I'll, like Kate said, I'll get really meticulous with that stuff. But uh, to set up someone for success, you have to know all those. The more details you know, the better. Um, so I then obviously cater what the information you gather towards their goal with it, whatever that might be. Yeah. And so I guess for like the people that are listening, could you kind of like um, just kind of explain what relative strength is? A lot of people might not know. Uh, I guess that's sort of where they're at in time now. So like, Mm -hmm. what are their numbers? What what, what are they putting up? What what is their squat? Like a lot of times it's like, I'll ask for their their basic movements or if they don't uh, squat, I'll ask them for something else. But you know what I mean? Their their squat rep maxes or their bench rep rep, rep maxes or deadlift. Right. Not always rep maxes because not a lot of people rep max anymore. Yeah. Or test that stuff, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. But even just their working weights is usually what I'll ask. Yeah. Like, what are you doing for like eight, eight to 10 reps on your bench right now? Yeah. And I'll go from there. Um, and that's super important because uh, this is another topic, I think, too. But if you get somebody who's literally only like a year into training yeah. and they're just like a freak, they're just a super strong uh, individual who is like a 315 bench or like a 400 pound squat one, one year into training or two years yeah it's a lot different uh programming for them because they still have a lot of potential but you have to program differently now because uh, their numbers are going to be generating so much fatigue just because of how strong they are so uh a lot of times beginners progressing them through volume is a really easy way to do to do things but if you get somebody uh, who's super super strong you can't really do that anymore yeah so you're basically kind of saying like uh, for like a lot of people, like you're like, you're might be strong, but like, you're not like a freak in terms of mm-hmm. like, you know, you're not putting up crazy, crazy numbers or anything like that. Um, and so like a really easy way for you to progress somebody along is you can just add like a bit more volume, a bit more exercises, maybe sets, reps, things like that. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but it teaches the movement patterns more, right? Uh, so yeah. if you're newer or it's always nice to just have usually a better, uh, a higher volume program, just because you learn the movements more. You're performing the movements more. Yeah, so, you're getting those repetitions in to create those motor patterns. Yeah, like and that. you may not even know the movements well enough, uh, or your form may not be adequate enough yet to actually load properly mm-hmm. and do sets that are less than six or right. less than four, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so you're saying with somebody who is relatively like pretty strong, especially right off the hop it's a lot more difficult to just yeah and it is rare but i think it will happen sometimes like a lot of times just football players or whatever where they're like you know what i mean they're 18 years old and they're just 225 benches or you know what i mean one one year into their training right. chances are they may might be injured now or they're going to get injured 
So right. you have to be just a little bit more careful with those individuals. They have a lot of potential, those people, but uh, you can't really program them the same. It's yeah. like a double-edged sword, pretty much, if you're a super strong individual. Right. Because you can you can continue to progress at maybe a bit more of an exponential rate as somebody else, but you're also probably a bit more prone to get injured at that point as well. Yeah. And then in a bodybuilding context, especially, like there's an argument going around where it's like, is it a good thing to be super strong and be and your main goal being bodybuilding? And the reason is just because if you're super duper strong and, and the main goal is to put on muscle, literally just doing like if, if like look at for example someone big in the industry larry wheels if he gets into bodybuilding he's like a he's what an 800 pound squatter 500 plus pound bencher yeah what is he gonna do like 445 bench for sets of 10 like yeah. he'll be fried after that bench press a couple sets of bench press or a couple okay. sets of squats that's basically all he can do yeah and adding more volume onto that and like he is quite freaky but you know what i mean you have to be so careful because he might not get enough stimulus to even generate a, a growth response uh, just because of how much load and fatigue he's generating. Right. So, um, so basically kind of what you're explaining is like uh, for hypertrophy, like you do want to do like a bit more volume and some things like that, as opposed to like, um, like lower uh, rep sets are going to be like obviously more intense, which is going to basically fatigue the central nervous system a lot more. So it's harder for you to recover and then trying to add, and if you're all really strong, then trying to add more reps to those, heavy, heavy loads is just going to fatigue you even further. You're going to be a really hard time trying to recover from your workouts. Yeah, especially that. So focus on volume early, uh, mm -hmm. I would say, is a really good thing to do on pretty much every exercise, even your compounds. Uh, they don't have to be crazy high uh, set uh, rep ranges on your compounds, but on your accessories, you know what I mean? Like three to five sets at least uh, in that 10 to 12 rep range is always smart Yeah, for the first couple of years of training. And so would you probably say to do that with like, even like your compound movements and stuff like that too, kind of like the, you know, like that eight to 12 kind of rep range would be like a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would stick with that. I wouldn't really worry about any um, periodization such as like DUP. If you, if people have ever heard of that, where they switch up the rep ranges week to week or day to day. Yeah. You probably, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you are truly just getting really bored, but like I said, it takes one bad, one bad lift <laughs> to really put you uh, behind. I could set you behind for months or eight yeah. years. Right. Yeah. So it's a really good thing to like build up those motor patterns and get like as many good repetitions as you can in to kind of, kind of solidify that way that your body is going to move properly and everything. So then from there, you can add the load on slowly to get stronger and, you know, add more muscle or whatever you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So <clears throat> I know, yeah, uh, even more so with training, you're also like a pretty meticulous when it comes to like your nutrition and your eating and stuff like that too. And uh, I've seen you eat some pretty weird stuff over, <laughs> over the years. It's yeah. A, it's like your broccoli and pudding and stuff like that. But um, if you could just kind of dive into your, just your kind of general approach with like your nutrition, I think you carb sure. and stuff like that, right? My own approach, like what I do personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my approach has changed a lot, like dramatically over the years. So, um, my first for probably three years, I or four years actually, I tra I tracked macros uh, every day. Mm -hmm. Or no, I think it was three. Yeah, I, my fitness pal, I have a streak of like six hundred or something or more. Actually, more than that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 over a thousand. 
So right. every day I was super crazy with it, tracking macros. And I did start sort of with the, if it fits your macros craze, cause that's when I kind of got into it. Right. When was uh, that was when that sort of notion was really big with Matt mm -hmm. Ogis and everyone else that was promoting it. Um, and it worked on for sure. Like I would do it pretty much to the T. Like I would have my clean foods 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. I'd have potatoes, chicken, um, I'd have protein powder and like Kate said, some broccoli with it or whatever. Um, just, you know what I mean? F fitting the macros in for the, my meals. Um, and then over time recently, like oh, we'll just skip to right now. I'm a lot more liberal with my nutrition, but there's other reasons for that. Um, I just try to, I don't, I'll never eat intuitively, but I always eat within, um, like every two to three hours at least. Yeah. And I've always practiced nutrient timing uh, for the past three, two years, two years. Okay. I'm losing track of time here, but yeah, two years at least. So what that basically is, is you, um, you'll place most of your carbohydrate meals um, towards your workout or closer to your workout. Um, so that means if you're working out in the afternoon, like I do most of the time, I'll have like a breakfast of usually higher fats, such as eggs or um, I'll have like almonds with protein sometimes, mm -hmm. what have you. And then towards the workout, I'll have usually a simple carb, such as like, uh, I'll, I'll always switch up my carb sources, but I'll have potatoes, rice, um, bread, toast, whatever. I like to switch it up and then just, yeah. you know what I mean? Chicken or what, uh, chicken, turkey, what have you. Mm -hmm. And then same thing post-workout, loads of carbs post-workout, like, literally a whole loaf of bread most of the time <laughs> if yeah. I'm doing bread, <laughs> it's that much carbs. Um, and then, um, so for, so that, that'll work out to like four meals a day. So fats in the uh, morning, fats at night, and then carbs by the workout. Kind of like focus mostly around the workout, trying to utilize yeah. the, the carbohydrates to kind of fuel the workout as possible. Yeah. And those carbohydrates are there to, to pretty much fuel the workout. Although like you don't have to do it like that. Um, you can fill glycogen stores. It, it takes quite a while to fill glycogen stores, honestly. So the, that those carbs I'm eating in that meal might only be filling up the next day's workout, but yeah. there is still some 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 interaction there. Like you'll yeah. still undoubtedly get better performance than not having those carbs early. Right. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> um, I think that like a lot of people would mostly just kind of like spread their like carbs out and stuff like that evenly a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's definitely something to be said with um even just a little bit of boost in like performance you can get with yeah. like even having carbs like pre-workout sometimes even intra-workout or and especially post-workout with even just your recovery and stuff like that too um I, I i do like kind of a similar way but i work out like first thing in the morning so mm -hmm. my first meal the first meal i'm having is like most of my carbohydrates are going to be focused like there yeah and then I kind of try and taper it down as like the day goes on because I'm obviously not working out and everything. And then it's kind of the reverse. So on like a rest day, so you, I know that you usually kind of like lower your calories on your rest day, right? Yeah. So my rest days are a, a lot lower calories. Usually mm -hmm. this is just personal preference. This is just cause I like to eat a lot of food on my training days. Okay. And on my rest days, I'm usually, I usually have them on a day where I'm usually a lot, uh, I'm pretty inactive on my rest days. Like I'll do just work or I'll just do, I'm on my computer most of the day on my rest days anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'll just have mostly fats, protein. And then if I have a hard session the next day, I'll, I'll backload a carbohydrate meal. Yeah. So you're going to, and, that, and that's only sometimes that's only sometimes. 
Yeah, just kind of depending. So you're basically going to try and save all your carbohydrates for like the last meal of the day. So then you're kind of like yeah. fill up those glycogen storages a little bit again for the next Absolutely. day. So you can kind of like have some fuel for the next day, essentially. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with sleep as well. Um, I've learned over time too, and this, this, this might be the case for some people as well, but having carbs before bed helps me sleep a lot. Like a nice big carb meal before bed, I will be out like a light in like a couple hours. Right. Yeah. Whereas um, some people don't like that at all. Like they'll, I have a few clients where they won't eat. I, I don't have them eat anything past like 6, 6 PM. Yeah. Just cause it kind of like messes with like their sleep and stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm kind of like a, a similar way. Like on my training days, I don't eat a lot of carbs before bed. Well, relatively to me, it's not a lot of carbs before bed, but that's because I'm going to be filling up like at the beginning of the day, like in the next morning. So I'm like starving when I get up. Oh yeah. I'm it's a bizarre it thing. It's a bizarre thing. Cause I'll backload my carbs like that. And that's when I'm the most hungry too. I'll do it for hunger reasons as well. Yeah. Um, I'll backload my carbs and then wake up hungry. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with the insulin signaling and the, how that right. all works. But yeah. So <clears throat> as you guys can kind of see there, there's like a lot of different ways that you can kind of manipulate how you want to structure like your meal plans and stuff like that too. Um, cause I know for like a lot of people, like I said, like most people are just kind of going to go like, just kind of keep everything kind of even and stuff like that. And I think that you would kind of agree that I would probably more almost 99% of the time, keep my protein pretty consistent for like all my yeah. meals and stuff like that. And then I would, the things I would probably manipulate would be like those fats and carbohydrates and stuff. And you can kind of play around with where you want to, like you said, kind of load the carbohydrates or maybe kind of taper them down and you might instead put in some more fast and stuff like that. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, the biggest thing is, uh, and everyone should know this is getting in the protein. Uh, can't stress that enough, how, how important the protein is. And that's just for male and females, uh, especially females. Like you'll, you'll, it, it does wonders what eating 130 grams of protein will do every day. Yeah. Like good sources. What I'll do too is lately I haven't, uh, I don't actually count, non-protein sources as protein. Yeah. Um, so your, your 10 grams or 14 grams from that pasta or whatever you, you might eat, I wouldn't even count that. I would it just makes things more consistent to just keep it with the, the lean meats or the, the, the dairy or what have you. Uh, true protein sources and yeah, everything. Yeah. That's the, the exact same way that I kind of like do my meals and stuff like that too. I keep everything separate because I mean, even with like lots of those different extra protein that you're getting, like mm -hmm. some of them aren't even complete proteins and things like that. So it's a lot more consistent to kind of really just keep your true complete protein sources almost separate from everything else. And yeah. of course you'll get some trickle from everything from other things, but yeah. And that's just like a bonus. I would, I, I, I like to call it. Yeah. But <clears throat> like you said, like, I think that protein intakes honestly kind of been downplayed over the last few years of how important it really is. Mm -hmm. um, even especially for like females and stuff like that. And I know it can be kind of really difficult for like uh, for females to get protein in cause it's pretty satiating and stuff and eating, you know, 130 to 140 grams of protein can be a lot for, for a girl to get in, but it, it can definitely make a lot of difference in terms of how your physique even looks and um, how much stronger you might even feel and stuff like that too. I would say. Yeah, of course. It's the biggest thing. Like most of my female clients, um, I always harp on them because they, the, the, the biggest thing I ask for is just getting protein in. And I know when they skimp out on it. <laughs> so it's just, it's wonder you'll gym progress goes through the roof. Like, like you said, training progress will skyrocket. 
Yeah, like with gonna, uh, protein. Yeah, you can feel like a lot stronger with protein. Um, and I find like that your recovery feels a lot better too, but you also feel, uh, since protein is obviously the least likely of the three macronutrients to be stored away as fat and stuff like that, I find right. that I feel like a lot tighter and leaner and stuff like that too. Um, on top of like your gym progress and everything like that as well. Yeah, that's hundred percent true. Yeah. yeah and I even think... for, like you said, satiety is a big one. Like if, if they're hungry and they're dieting, yeah. there's nothing more satiating than protein fiber. Like, you know what I mean? Cook up a big bunch of green beans or whatever. Green bean, I like green beans and broccoli because that's pretty satiating. Yeah. Very voluminous, not too voluminous, but just enough and throw some chicken in there and you'll, you'll stay full for a good amount of time. Yeah. And it's a really good way to manipulate, like, you know, being on a diet and stuff like that. I think a lot mm. of people kind of focus on almost just trying to like cheat the system in a way where, you know, mm. they're trying to like fit little things in to kind of like get like a certain like taste or something like that. But if you're truly like eating foods that are going to help like satiate you, yeah. um, like protein, fiber, things like that, you're not even going to really feel the need to try and sneak those other little things in and out of your diet and stuff like that too. Yeah. And another thing I'll add is I think too many people these days are trying to glorify their little meals. They're trying to, you know what I mean? Make it as tasty as possible. They're trying to make their, you know what I mean? Their, their oats and protein be like a, like a gourmet dish. Right. When reality, like, I don't think that's a great idea, especially if you're dieting down. Like um, I've just noticed that's how cravings start. Cause and that's how you're just never satisfied with that. You'll always want more. You'll always want something tastier from yeah. my experience. And that's when bad things will happen. Yeah. Like um, funny you bring that up. Cause actually in the last episode, Kess and I were talking about like um, basically like hyper, like hyper intensifying your taste palates and everything like that right. and oversensitizing them. And then, you know, you're eating, you want, you're eating something like sweet, salty, you know, savory mm -hmm. all at the same time, trying to make things taste like almost over the top. And then at that point, that's when you aren't going to be satisfied with something that's like, so you can still make basic things. Like you said, like your chicken and green beans can still taste pretty good. If you put like a little bit of seasoning on it, you know, maybe like even just like some lemon or whatever, have you, mm -hmm. whatever sort of seasonings you might like, you can still taste good. Um, without having to kind of like oversensitize your palate and everything. And then you're kind of just thrown all out of whack. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess kind of like on the topic of things that people are kind of like uh, maybe like doing wrong or kind of, what would you say is like kind of the biggest mistakes people are kind of making that it could be, be like a really easy fix for them to do in terms of like their diet. And then we'll go on to training after that as well. Right. So for diet, I think um, the biggest, uh, I want to say it's not really a mistake. It's not really anyone's fault, but making, looking at your whole day, looking at your whole week, like what, what is going to work for you? Like look at the big picture mm -hmm. and figure out uh, a nutrition scheme that will work. So if you ever, like, if you're somebody who just can't, who just can't have time throughout the day to eat, whether it be a work related or whatever, then make sure you're getting in those meals or as much nutrition as you can when you can. So if it's right when in the morning, uh, I think take advantage of that. So have like most of your calories in the morning. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all because if you can't eat anything, then what's the point of stressing and trying to overcomplicate things just so you can have a little bit of food uh, throughout the day, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you I think uh, saying to 
basically kind of if you can only eat mostly in the, if you have time in the morning to eat and maybe like say after work have time to eat you have like you know bigger meals in those certain time periods instead of trying to split it up and think that you have to have six meals a day when you could do like you know two three four meals depending on what works for you yeah i think three is like the minimum yeah uh, i think anybody can fit three meals in a day mm -hmm. uh and then look at look at when you're training uh is another one so uh, we kind of touched on that, like the nutrition timing, but uh, it's important to sort of, you don't want to be slamming like, you know what I mean? Like a really heavy meal and then training an hour later. Right. Uh, I think that's a lot. Of, I think a lot of people do that. Like, I'm like, without even knowing like how that actually affects their workout. Yeah. But I feel like a bit more sluggish and like a lot of times that's how people actually end up throwing up or something like that too. Yeah. So I think it's just looking at your day, looking at your schedule, uh, looking at when you can actually get uh, a food in and relaxing when you eat. Mm -hmm. Like it's no fun when you're, <laughs> you're, you're rushing for like a five minute little break just to, to slam down a meal. Right. I feel like, uh, especially over time, if you want long-term results with uh, like a good digest, like if you want good digestion, uh, you want to utilize all those nutrients properly, you should be pretty relaxed. You don't want to be overly sympathetic when you eat your food. Mm -hmm. So, um, whether like right in the, not right in the morning, but like you'll, you know, I mean, drink some water, you shower and you go eat your food. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, the response you'll get from that meal is a lot better. You'll notice if you track your blood glucose, like I do, like a crazy person, uh, <laughs> your blood glucose will be a lot better if you're relaxed after your meal. Right. So if I, like, for instance, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like I'll take a bunch of supplements post-workout immediately post-workout pretty much that sort of put me into this sympathetic, uh, parasympathetic state which is like a relaxation mm -hmm. sort of uh, rest and digest kind of state and then i'll go home so that and, then eat my, and make my food and eat my meal right whereas if i didn't take those supplements and just kind of slammed a shake after um, or slammed my meal right after like in the car i have tested this like my blood glucose will be elevated a lot longer right and that's just a good indicator that um the lower the lower your blood glucose the, the quicker it is uh chances are you're just using those nutrients a lot better insulin's a lot uh being utilized better mm -hmm. and so on but like i said you don't want to be stressed when you're eating your food you want to be relaxed right so just trying to that's a big one just trying to eliminate as much stress as possible around your eating times if you can kind of thing yeah and it may not seem like a big one but uh, i feel like that's a uh, a good a good plan yeah or a good that's start a, to think, uh, like I, about. definitely something that's definitely something that's like overlooked like even just similar to how like digestion gets overlooked a lot of times even just like how mm -hmm. stressed you might feel how that might even affects your meal and stuff like that too you know with elevated cortisol or whatever um like those types of things can really affect right. your meal and I, i've definitely noticed those types of things um even just by like anecdotally you know waiting to eat and like like because i work out i come home i have to get ready for the day and then once I get to work, I'll sit down and eat. Once I'm calm back down, my body is more relaxed because I just worked out intensely. You know, my blood pressure is going to be back down. Everything's going to be a little more relaxed. Now you're in a state where you can actually absorb the food and absorb it properly and be able to utilize it to actually help with your recovery and stuff like that. Whereas if you're, you know, more stressed out, you have like spiked cortisol still, and your body's still in a frantic state, you're probably going to be like a lot more likely to not utilize it as well, but you might even store a bit more of it and stuff like that too. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot to it. Yeah. 
but I think that's just, uh, like I said, it's not really a mistake, but it's something people should think about. Yeah. I don't think that people are ever making mistakes really mm-hmm. uh, with their nutrition. It's just, they're doing what they know. Right. Yeah. I mean, like a, 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 a mistake might be like just eating the wrong foods, right? Like post workout you might, and maybe some people do this, but you probably don't want to be slamming like a, uh, like peanut butter and protein right after your workout or something like that. I just can't imagine any, any, any person that actually responds well to like a super high fat meal after their workout. I'm not sure yeah. if that's just me or what, but I, it may, it may just be my bias <clears throat> against high fat, but yeah. Well, I think it makes a lot of sense. There, there are times of the day where you do go high. Fat. Yeah. Sorry. I was just gonna say there's times of the day where you do want to think about what macronutrients you're eating. Right. So, yeah, that, I think those are really good points to touch on. Um, and I think that the, like, especially with like the stress and stuff, I think it's something that a lot of people might not even think about um, or even be aware of that they might be doing and something that is probably a pretty easy thing that they could just adjust. Um, like instead of just, you know, like you said, slamming a shake or something like that right after take your time, wait, go home, and then you can kind of like do your thing. Yeah. And the shake might be okay. I was probably a bad, bad, uh, example just because it is so easily digestible it's pretty much right in and out right but it just yeah just for like just in the overall like generalization just you can you can it is okay to wait like a few minutes or you know half an hour 45 minutes an hour before you yeah this anabolic window idea is it's true to some extent but uh you got lots of time you're not you shouldn't have to worry about it yeah it's not like it's 10 or 15 minutes so (laughs) yeah the only context that matters is if you're a high level athlete who trains th- two to three times a day. Right. Which Where is that post-workout, you probably should get it in as quick as you can. Cause you got another workout in four hours. So. Right. But for most people, you're totally fine. Just going to be yeah. able to wait and stuff like that. And so even kind of like we, like I said, let's kind of do the same kind of question, but in terms of like training, like what would say, what would be like something that you would say that you maybe see a lot of people are doing that they maybe don't know, um, that they should be doing, shouldn't be doing that or kind of whatever. Right. Um, I think one thing is sort of getting emotionally attached to some exercises. Mm-hmm. I've always hated, uh, not dislike that idea where people will be pretty quite dogmatic with their exercise selection and they'll, you know what I mean? They'll refuse to just not squat or they'll, they will be, you know what I mean? They'll squat for and do no other leg exercises and then they end up with problems over time. Right. That's one thing people might have that's pretty common or they don't switch things up enough is another one mm-hmm. where they, some people will be literally on the same routine for six plus months. And I've seen this firsthand where the, you know what I mean? It's, it's bench Monday, the back, back Tuesday and legs Wednesday, whatever the order is. Yeah. And they do the same exercises. I see it in the, the, the good life. Not every commercial gym I've been at. Right. Um, people just maybe aren't changing things up enough. And so you're kind of like walking a fine line between. Yeah. There's, there's two sides of it. There's two sides of it where it's, you, you don't, you don't switch things up enough and then you, you switch things up or, or you, yeah, yeah, there's, you're too uh, emotionally attached to some exercises, which Mm -hmm. leaves you, um, you don't want to, you don't want to ever switch it up, which might actually be good for your progress. Right. Right. And so what would you say, how often would you say that people should maybe change it up or how long should you stick with an exercise um, before switching and stuff like that? Because I think that's probably something a lot of people would like to know is 
you know, they, maybe they know, okay, I should do this exercise for like, you know, I shouldn't just switch it up every week, but how long do I stick with this exercise before maybe it's time to pick something else? And then, yeah, yeah. that's a great question. Yeah. Um, honestly, I like to milk out exercises as long as you can. If you find an exercise that you love and your, your body uh, cooperates well with it, so you don't get any unwanted pain or soreness from it, you only see progress. Mm-hmm. So week to week, you're going in and you're seeing some, some, some form of progress. I would milk it as long as you can. So I did that for the hack squat for probably two years I or close to two years. <laughs> I hack squatted I, and hack squatted and hack squatted. And I changed the rep scheme up, which is nice, but I, I, that's how long it took for me to actually uh, plateau right. on that exercise mm-hmm. until I had to switch it out. And that's probably the time to, when you want to switch things out is when something plateaus. And probably for about two weeks, if things aren't moving for about two weeks, mm-hmm. I'd say change it up. I'd say change the reps first, okay. change the rep scheme, change the intensity. And then if that doesn't work, um, change it up. So if maybe for a couple of weeks, you know, you're trying to go for six reps, it's not, you know, you can't get any more, say weight out of it, or you can't get any more reps at that weight, you know, change up, maybe try and do like a little bit of a lighter load, but then try and bump the reps up a little bit. And if that's still not really like working that well, then you can kind of like pick a new exercise to kind of replace that one. Yeah, hundred percent. Or even uh, depending on the exercise, you could change like your grip width. Um, that's not always the best choice, but if you're doing like a, a squatting pattern, Mm-hmm. try a try a close stance or a wide stance squat maybe that'll help it will hit different muscle uh different muscle uh in different ways so um that might be the be the right idea okay and so um for you with the hack squat what did you decide to go with in replacement of the hack squat once you kind of did hit that plateau you obviously had to replace it with something um so what did you end up replacing with? yeah so i like i said before i don't barbell back squat so i was doing my major squat pattern was the hack squat for a long time. Yeah. And once I plateaued on that, I started to go into a lot of Bulgarian split squat work. Oh, okay. So I started doing Bulgarian split squats on the, uh, on the Smith machine. As silly as that sounds, but mm-hmm. that, that can, that pretty much maintained my leg size or kind of grew it. Like it's really hard for me to see a lot of leg progress now, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I certainly didn't get smaller. So I started doing that as my main, of course it's not a squatting pattern but it nails your legs like i mean nothing else so yeah i have been doing that for a long time and i'll rotate in a leg press so if if you have another exercise that works really well uh throw it in there like for me it's a certain leg press i can't do leg press uh at your most of your commercial gyms like good life or evolution there's a yeah i have to use a an arsenal one it's called which is like a fancy machine a really a really good brand that makes a really nice leg press yeah. And I find that like, um, with the leg press, the most, the most difficult thing is sometimes just the angle of like the seat or even just oh, the yeah. angle of the actual, uh, platform for your feet and stuff like that too. So lots of them are just like straight flat. And I find that sometimes that can be kind of like challenging yeah. to use. Of course. Yeah. That's why I kind of said like, yeah, it's, it's important. To, uh, it's, it's important to experiment with your exercises and you'll know right away pretty much if something isn't cooperating, like the second I get on a leg press at a commercial gym, it's like, Oh, I'm going to be sore. This is not going to, this is not going to feel good. Yeah. So, so you just, obviously you can just move to a different exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Like move to a different exercise. You know what I mean? Leg press will like press hits pretty much everything as well as a hack squat. If you go deep enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and that's like a bread and butter exercise. That's like your compound movement, right? Right. You wouldn't change out a a leg extension for a leg press. Maybe, maybe in some worlds you will, but, 
if someone's plateauing on a leg leg extension, I would probably move to like a, a lunge variation or a, a split squat. Something that you could kind of do as more of like a accessory type exercise. Yeah, any accessory exercise you plateau on, um, there's a lot of options you could do there. Yeah. And so with like, with accessory exercises, um, separate to compound movements, kind of your bread and butter stuff, um, would, do you usually stick with those bread and butter movements for a bit longer than you would with say an accessory or things like that? Like, do you like to switch your accessories out a little um, bit more often or kind of? Yeah, typic on? typically. And I think most people will find this. You can use, you can, you can, uh, the compound exercises you'll be doing a lot longer than your accessories. And one, one, for one, one reason is because a lot of times people just get bored with their accessories. Right. Um, so it's nice to change those up. Some people, like I said before, don't, and they'll be, they'll be like extension. They'll do like extensions for years and never change it. Never actually progress. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always smart to change your accessories up. I think even if you're not um, plateauing on your accessories, it's a good idea to switch them up every like four to eight weeks. Four to eight weeks kind of gives you just a little bit of kind of spice it up. It's yeah, like, of course. Kind of keeps you interested. Yeah, uh, I, I I don't know anyone that likes doing the same accessory work for for any muscle group for more than like eight weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so obviously, like you uh, train clients and stuff like that. Um, what sort of people do you typically uh, train and stuff like that? Um, mostly intermediate. Uh, I think all of, all of my clients are intermediate clients. So none of them are at like the level where we have to be careful enough to, you know what I mean? Where the everything, all the programming is super intricate mm -hmm. where um, I have to, you know what I mean? Watch all of their lifts. Nothing's at that level, but intermediate level is a great spot. Um, so it's really hard to classify uh, this, that sort of spectrum because it's like beginner is beginner. So one to two years usually. And then mm -hmm. intermediate, like I said before, can be like this huge range right. where it could be like someone could be 10 years into lifting and still sort of be in that advanced is where it's like very few people i think are, are a true advanced trainer where they're they literally have to center their lives around progressing yeah like to get one more rep on a, on a romanian deadlift or a deadlift yeah if you know what i mean you just have to be so dialed into your recovery where um it becomes so much effort yeah, so much programming you're basically just like capped out almost yeah yeah, so you, you work with like a lot of like intermediate style people and stuff. I'm going to actually basically just show everyone like your Instagram and stuff like that too. So if people want to check you out, this is actually Taylor's Instagram here. He posts sometimes, but he yeah. does post good stuff when he does post. And as you guys can kind of see, Taylor's in pretty ridiculous shape. Definitely, obviously, walks the talk <laughs> and everything as well. Um so yeah, if you guys are obviously interested in working with Taylor or anything like that, you can definitely hit him up here on Instagram and stuff like that too. But he posts really good informational stuff. Um, lots of like Q and a type stuff and, um, and everything too, just tries to get people like really good, like quality information. Yeah. And I'll add, I, I've been slacking a little bit on that just because of my last semester, I was super busy literally every day. Uh, this semester I've just been a little bit slacking. Because I've been thinking about just where I'm going in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but I plan on getting really into the content, creating content, whether it be podcast style, YouTube, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just another platform to to create content with. Just my Instagram page is mostly just like me and just like yeah. um, it's less businessy. Yeah. 
because I'm fortunate enough to just have enough people where I'm, I'm content without having to advertise a whole lot. So yep, that's that's nice. Thanks for the shout out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, is there anything that you kind of want to add um, to what we've talked about or anything you kind of want to leave people with um, kind of to kind of finish off everything? Um, let me think. I don't think nothing really off the top of my head. I just think people need to, and one, one thing about my coaching is I'm not the best motivator. So if you need motivation, <laughs> that's probably not, I'm probably not your best guy, yeah. but really find something um, intrinsically to motivate you. Like uh, for me, like I said, like, I just really, I'm uh, like, I see my poster on my wall there. I have a bunch of pictures of like Goku and all that stuff. Like that stuff motivates me as silly as that sounds. It could be whatever motivates you. But a lot of times these external motivation uh, motivators usually do not work out long-term and this this lifting this bodybuilding this fitness lifestyle this is a long-term thing yeah so it's more of like a lifestyle change kind of thing or something you can incorporate into your life so just find something that kind of motivates you specifically for your goals absolutely i think that's a good idea yeah i think that's really awesome well taylor like it was so awesome having you on uh you're the very first guest on the podcast first time we've done like a zoom thing um so it'll be up on like youtube and stuff like that hopefully if i can figure that out um so yeah it was really awesome having you on hopefully we can have you on again sometime and we can maybe go into some more deeper topics and kind of discuss some more things because i think you have a lot of good valuable information to give to people for sure thank you thank you for having me on awesome man okay we'll talk to you later see you see ya.